There's a solar boom across the state of Ohio. According to New Project Media data, there is currently 6.45 gigawatts of pre-operational solar power across 40 proposed projects in Ohio, compared to just under 1.1 gigawatts of pre-operational wind. You can also compare that 6.45 gigawatts to the 255 megawatts of solar capacity currently operational in the state. To discuss the Ohio solar revolution and what we can expect going forward in the state, we welcome Daniel Saul Miller, the Natural Resources Defense Council's Ohio Energy Policy Director, to New Project Media's podcast. All right. Uh, hi, Daniel. Thanks for joining us. Hey, good morning. Good morning. And um, yeah, we can kind of just uh, jump right into it. So um, obviously, uh, one thing that we do at New Project Media is these docket watches. So I cover about 27 states. Um, and I go through all the uh, regulatory dockets. And uh, just one thing that's really jumped out to me um, over this past year is just how many new projects are being uh, proposed in Ohio. And obviously, as the director of um, Ohio's NRDC, you kind of have a front seat to that. So I was hoping you might be able to sort of jump into, did you see this coming? I mean, is this unexpected for you? Or is this sort of something that's been um, you know, on the way for a while now? Well, it's, it's been on the way for a while, but it wasn't without purposeful action on, you know, the behalf of a number of folks, I suppose. Uh, but, you know, I think when it, when it all started, it was a couple of years ago, I was working for the Sierra Club at the time, and we had signed a, uh, an agreement with American Electric Power in Ohio to pursue, uh, among other things, a 400 megawatt solar project that we could locate in Appalachia. And the idea behind that project was to build a big 400 megawatt project and use that to partner with supply chain manufacturing companies who would be interested in coming to the Appalachian part of Ohio and create those long-term sort of permanent uh, manufacturing opportunities. We had military veterans uh, poised to go to the front of the line for any employment opportunities and displaced utility workers. We're going to get jobs, you know, constructing and operating this, this plant and trying to get them into these manufacturing companies if we could attract them here. And so it was about that time, that was around 2015. It wasn't long after that, um, that you saw a lot of development interest. And I think a part of it was to try to maybe serve this forthcoming request for proposals that we knew AEP was going to put out. Um, but but once the, the development interest started to show up in Ohio, I think there was a number of things that that became very clear. You know, Ohio has retired more coal units than any other state in the union. And it's left behind this, you know, transmission infrastructure, which has proven to be a really valuable asset for our state. And so, uh, you know, we sort of saw it coming. We were doing things to, to try and attract the industry because we know how big it can be and the kind of job creation that can come with it. So, um, so yeah, I mean, hopefully that answers your question, but there was a lot to that, right? But it started right around, just, just shortly after 2015, you started to see interest um, and it's just been growing ever since. And, and you're right. You look at the docket at the siding board and there's, I think, more than 30 projects now that are pending there. So you, you sort of see this as, um, you know, finally the wave coming into view after a few years of, of building. Because, I mean, there's about 255 megawatts, I believe, of installed solar capacity at the moment in Ohio. But there's about, I think, six, around 6.4 uh, gigawatts of pre-operational solar that's been proposed. Um, and I think a lot of that's been within the last year to two years. So do you see that as sort of finally coming into view? Oh, yeah, it's it's squarely into view. I mean, and you're right. I think your numbers are, are accurate. I think it might be a little bit more than that, depending on which projects you're including. But 
uh, you know, we did an analysis last summer that looked at the capacity factor of solar and we compared it to the two operating nuclear plants along Ohio's North Shore. And there's enough solar that's pending before the siding board to match the zero carbon output in terms of electricity generation as the two nuclear facilities. So, so yeah, it's, it's significant interest. And you're right, there's, uh, you know, single projects that are larger than what the installed capacity is in, in the state. But, you know, you look over the last 10 years or so, when most of that solar, that 255 megawatts was installed, the price of solar has come down like 90%. Uh, Ohio, like I said, we've retired. I, I don't have the number in front of me, but it's something like 16 gigawatts of coal-fired units that are either retired or announced for retirement. It's going to open up new line uh, or new, new um, capacity on our transmission system. You know, and then so you add to that that you've got uh, you know, the flat tillable ag land where these projects can easily be sited. They can cost effectively interconnect into the grid. They can serve the load throughout the entire PJM footprint. Ohio just makes a lot of sense. So yeah, we're, it's definitely in full view now. And, and I think the advantages that our state had for this industry are finally being borne out. Gotcha. So this might be sort of an obvious question, but there's, um, you know, that 6.4 gigawatts um, you can compare that to almost 1.1 uh, gigawatts of pre-operational wind in the state. Obviously, you talked about the drop in price for solar. Um, is there anything else that you would attribute that that sort of lopsided uh, uh, balance to uh, of solar over wind? It's not necessarily any advantage, probably, that solar has over wind. I mean, there's certainly different technologies and uh, each has their pros and cons from any individual's perspective. When you look at these industries, there's things you like or dislike about either one, uh, depending, you know, where you sit. But, you know, you don't see solar growing faster than wind for any like major issue as it relates to that. It's really a policy, uh, a policy issue for wind in the state. There was a there was a setback law that was passed in 2014. It was inserted into a unrelated budget bill in the middle of the night and just made it so uh, cost prohibitive to build any sort of utility scale wind in this state. And, uh, you know, what I said, 2014, so seven years or so now, we've been trying to find ways to course correct on that. Uh, and the legislature has proved unwilling. So, so really, that's why you see solar growing uh, much faster than, than wind right now. Wind just has so many restrictions in front of it that it's hard to develop here. What was that 2014 bill? What did that, uh, what did that enact? Well, that was, it was the uh, Ohio budget bill. So every two years they have to pass a budget and sometimes <laughs> things will get added on that aren't really related, right? And I think that was kind of the, the case here. And so what this did was required uh, certain setbacks from neighboring properties and property lines so far that uh, you couldn't put uh, enough turbines into a project footprint to make financial sense. And so uh, you know, they, the, the industry has been working really hard to try to find a new path forward here, but uh, that's why you see, and there has been some projects you probably saw in your research that haven't moved forward, um, but, but that's why you see such a difference. It's really a policy issue uh, more so than it is uh, whether the state of Ohio is well suited for this kind of development. Because hmm. we certainly have a lot of wind um, uh, resource and potential here. If we wanted to embrace that industry, we could see a lot of development. So do you see this current uh, solar expansion as sort of a wave that could be cresting anytime soon? Or do you see this as sort of here to stay for at least the next few years as they as they sort of build out that that, you know, lost solar or excuse me, coal capacity? 
Yeah, I'd say the nef- next few years uh, certainly are, are in the cars for continued development. I would say you've probably got a decade uh, or more. You know, really, like like you said, it's only been a couple of years. They started this industry, you know, really in earnest, started to sniff around at Ohio late 2015, 2016. You started to see some some development interest. And, uh, you know, here we are a few years later. It's it's still ramping up. You're seeing it still on the up upward side of the uh, the trend. So, you know, I, I think there there's a, a fair amount of development ahead of us still. Ohio has something like 11 and a half million acres of flat tillable ag land. So we certainly have the land uh, capacity to do this. We have willing farmers and landowners who are really interested in this opportunity. They see the value that it can bring to their families and to their farms. And so they're embracing this. Um, and, and yeah, like I said, we've got the existing transmission infrastructure here. And so, yeah, I think that uh, I, I see no signs of uh, near term, you know, slowing down. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, probably another, I'd say at least, you know, five to 10 years anyway. How would you characterize, uh, you know, the Ohio Power Siting Board's uh, sort of response uh, to this influx? Have you seen like a, they're pretty open to it or what's been your sense of that, you know, the regulatory process now that there's so many projects in the pipeline? Yeah, so I'm kind of, I'm involved. I'm watching largely from afar. You know, there, there is a rule review that they're doing. It's this is normal course of business. Every five years, you look at the different administrative code rules and update them to current events. And so they just announced uh, that next month they'll be starting that five-year rule review process. Uh, it had started previously and then was stopped. I think with the pandemic and everything else, things were just kind of crazy. Um, and, and that's really what it's been, I think, for the siding board from my view. It's a lot of activity all at once. And <laughs> I have to feel for them. I'm sure they feel a little overwhelmed with uh, the, the, you know, these are massive filings with tons of detail inside of them. And the, the siding board uh, is the ones responsible for going through that stuff with a fine tooth comb and, and, and getting their questions answered. Now they don't, uh, they have no side to take, uh, you know, uh, you know, I think your question got a little bit to that. Like, are they embracing this? Are they, you know, they're not, they're just doing their job. Right. And so uh, it's an overwhelming job. You layer that on top of a pandemic uh, where probably a lot of them, I assume were working from home. And then you had this influx of stuff uh, difficult to get into these communities, to hold these public hearings and listen to people's uh, concerns and support and talk to them about, you know, these projects. So I, I just think it's, um, it's been quite a bit for the siding board and you'll see, you know, we just went through a legislative process. Now you're going to see the administrative process uh, updating these rules where we'll get a better sense maybe of what the, the power siding board staff is concerned with. Um, but, but if you look at any one of the applications that has been approved by the power siding board, what you'll see is that the staff is adding conditions to each and every permit. It averages something like 30 additional conditions that are placed on these projects before they put it to the, the, the siting board with their recommended, recommended approval. Um, and so they are certainly doing their diligence. They're looking at these projects very closely and requiring modifications that I think is gonna make uh, for a better industry and a better state overall. So I think the siting board's been doing a pretty good job so far. Great. Uh, so yeah, and then sort of on the, the policy front, um, obviously in July, um, uh, the governor signed into law Senate Bill 52 um, which gave some power to uh, county commissioners and townships to sort of veto, if I'm understanding it correctly, uh, 
you know, uh, projects in certain uh, areas of their individual counties. What do you see as sort of the ultimate impact or fallout of that? And sort of how do you think that can be, I guess, mitigated or worked around? It's a great question. And I think it remains to be seen. So that, that law will take effect on October 11th. And then for new projects that come forward after that time, uh, you know, a number of those ones that you've already mentioned that are there at the siding board are grandfathered in. There's some complicated language about your system impact study and feasibility studies at PJM. And if you have those, you're grandfathered into the old rules. But starting October 11th, any project that hasn't met that threshold will now be subjected to this new, uh, you know, permitting uh, oversight, I guess. Um, so, so it's a little early to tell. I, you know, at NRDC, we did not support Senate Bill 52. Uh, it's my opinion that it went a little further than was, was necessary. Uh, it's, you know, it's resulted in a playing field in this state that's very unlevel. You know, there's no other industries that are subjected to this sort of dual regulation, both at the state and local level. And so it, it's going to be a challenge, I think, for the industry to contend with. Um, but, but at the same time, you know, there are some elements of Senate Bill 52 that I think are very important and very reasonable. Uh, it's just my opinion that it went a little too far. Uh, and, and so we'll see what it, what it is. But I think, you know, going back to your question about the power siding board staff and how they've handled all of this. This is a difficult part of their job, and the legislature, I think, struggled with this job as well, is trying to differentiate people's real and legitimate concerns around these projects, if you have to live next to it or if it's going to be in your community. Um, and then, you know, stuff that's a little more uh, manufactured or, uh, you know, I don't know what the what the right term is to use, but uh I think it's appropriate for the power siding board staff and the legislature to address people's real and legitimate concerns. But there's a lot of stuff floating around out there. There's a very well organized uh, sort of Facebook campaign. And it's not just Ohio. You're seeing the same language, the same news articles, the same stuff that's floating around in communities in Ohio that you see in Indiana and you see in Kentucky and other parts of the country. Uh, and so it's, it's differentiating between these sort of campaigns to oppose renewable development in all forms and people's uh, real true local legitimate uh, concerns. And so that's, to me, that's the part that will play out starting after October 11th. There's a lot of complicated details to Senate Bill 52, uh, but to me, this is gonna be the, the trick is making sure that we're not um, going too far and, and stopping development like we did with wind. Yeah. Well, so if you look at this moment, I guess, as a, you know, one of a lot of potential and could go in any direction, what do you see as uh, policymakers role now um, in sort of nurturing that moment or, you know, giving it a, a super boost going forward? Is there any, uh, I mean, I know, I believe the renewable portfolio standard in the state is about 8.5% by 2026. I hope I still have those uh, current numbers, but um, is there any room there? Do you think that that there's a possibility of that getting uh, moved up anytime soon um, before 2026? Or is there anything that you think uh, policymakers could do between now and then to, uh, you know, keep this moment going? Well, it's a great question. And certainly there are policy ideas and things that could be done to nurture and grow this industry, but some of the most obvious and readily available policies are ones that in Ohio we've recently gone the other direction on. So uh, probably not in the cards. You know, you're right. We we started with a 25% renewable and alternative energy 
portfolio standard in the state. It required half of it to come from inside of Ohio. We eliminated that, right? And so we dropped the alternative energy portion of that. We dropped it to 12 and percent and said that it didn't have to come from Ohio anymore. Um, then we were concerned that the renewable portfolio standard wasn't building renewables in Ohio. Imagine that, right? And so uh, then they came at the renewable portfolio standard, dropped it down to eight and a half percent, which was designed to effectively eliminate the RPS because the complying entities have already reached that amount. And so it's largely not there. So yeah, you could talk about bringing some of those policies back, I suppose, but I just don't think there's an appetite for that. To me, it's, it's really about um, do no further harm, I think is, is probably a priority. I think, you know, we've got an industry that's proven itself to be very receptive to the, the different concerns that have been raised. Um, it's very dynamic. They're changing all the time. They're updating. They formed a coalition where these, these uh, developers have all come together to share best practices and improve one another's uh, development practices. And so, uh, you know, we're seeing a lot of that. So in terms of policy, I feel like, you know, I, I could certainly probably rattle off a list of things that we'd like to see, but it's really kind of uh, at this point, like do no further harm. Let's let this legislation take effect. Let's make sure that in this five-year rule review that we don't uh, harm business development in the state as it relates to you know the renewable industry growing here and bringing jobs and investment. Um, you know, outside of that, I think it's uh, you know it's it's job fairs and worker training and you know working with our local unions who are very excited about this development. They're showing up to these hearings and supporting these projects. So I'd like to see the state supporting that workforce, because when you talk about 6.4 to 7 gigs or more, it's all kind of on a similar timeline of, of getting the development and construction. And so uh, with the, um, the pilot agreements, it requires 80% Ohio domiciled workforce. And so hmm. uh, it'd be great to see some support for the, from the state to you know make sure we're getting the trained workforce ready and uh, we're, we're getting men and women in our state good jobs building these things. Are you seeing that sort of uh, cottage uh, cottage industry sort of keeping pace with the growth in terms of you know workforce development and things like that supply chain? Um, are you seeing that stuff being built out uh, at the moment in Ohio? Um, you know, as these projects are sort of firing into the docket. Absolutely, I mean, there are two things I guess I would highlight. One is the unions, right? The unions are totally, totally prepared for this. They've been training. Uh, for years. I've had the, the, the privilege of uh, walking through a couple of different training centers at the different unions uh, and to see them showing up and supporting this industry and recognizing uh, what, what it could mean for their members. They're ready. They've been doing training. They're ready to roll. Um, and then the other thing is the, uh, you know, Ohio has a pretty big supply chain that feeds into the renewable energy economy, broadly speaking, whether it be wind uh, or solar in, in this discussion. But uh, if you didn't know, in, in up near Perrysburg, we have the largest solar panel manufacturer in the Western Hemisphere in First Solar. They just a couple of weeks ago announced another huge expansion up there where they're going to be uh, producing more of these solar modules. And they also have a state-of-the-art recycling facility up there. And so that's a big part of the supply chain. And when you think about sort of onshoring manufacturing, broadly speaking, I think we've all kind of woke up to this. Uh, through this pandemic that, hey, there's a need to look at critical supply chains and bring them back to the United States and employ our folks in these facilities. 
Uh, First Solar is a shining example of that. We're proud to have them right here in Ohio, and that's certainly feeding uh, the industry here. The first utility scale solar project to break ground in Ohio was the, uh, the Hillcrest project down in Highland County. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was something like 600,000 panels that came from First Solar in Northwest Ohio. Yeah, so uh, another thing that I was um, kind of interested in is, uh, you know, with the uh, data that I was talking about in our sort of pre-operational pipeline that we have, um, I was wondering, uh, there's about 40, you know, that 6.4-ish uh, gigawatts is spread across about 40 projects at the moment. Is there any particular developer or company that you've seen that's really, um, you know, gung-ho about Ohio that's really been, you know, leading the pack in terms of, um, you know, wanting to, to get, you know, on the ground floor early? Well, um, probably. I mean, but, but you know, the way I look at it, it's kind of, they all kind of came at one time. <laughs> you can look at any one of their individual mm-hmm. portfolios and there are some who are like, uh, you know, I talk to these developers somewhat frequently just to kind of get a sense of where they're at, what they're thinking. Uh, and there's a number of them that are kind of all in on Ohio. This is the big opportunity, uh, you know, not just for them in terms of, you know, like I've said before, transmission infrastructure, the flat tillable ag land, interested farmers, access to all the load that is demanding this renewable energy. Ohio makes a lot of business sense if you are in uh, solar development, but it also makes a lot of sense for our state to welcome this industry uh, and, and, and see this growth. So um, I wouldn't name any individual companies probably, but I'll tell you, there are a number of them that are kind of really looking all in on Ohio um, and, and, you know, it's high stakes in that sense. But, but for me, it, what I'm happy to see is, uh, you know, their willingness to come to the table and, and be held accountable. They, I think they embrace that largely as the accountability and uh, happy to talk to anybody, happy to improve their process. And, um, you know, that's kind of what I've been witnessing from them. But um, anyway, hopefully that, that answers your question. I'm just trying to think it through because there's like, there's, there's, you yeah. know, small shops that got 10 people that they employ. And then there's like these massive corporate entities and they're all here, uh, you know, kind of running the same plan of trying to develop uh, solar, doing greenfield development or long-term ownership, whatever their business model is. Uh, it kind of runs the gamut really. Yeah. Well, I mean, so we have a lot of developers um, in our audience and I was wondering if, you know, for them, if, if you were a company looking to bring a solar uh, farm to Ohio, is there any sort of idiosyncrasies in the pre-development process or the regulatory process or any particular challenges that you would keep in mind? Or do you think it's pretty straightforward from here as it's sort of, you know, the gates are opening just off to the races? Or is there anything that's sort of a, a, a hurdle? Yeah, there's a number, number of hurdles. Ohio's a bit of a difficult state. And, and, and largely this is probably because you know, the, the number one thing I would highlight is that we just passed Senate Bill 52 and we're just now entering a five-year rule review process. The, this is the guiding star for this industry and it's changing right now. Um, and so if I was a developer looking to come to Ohio, first thing I would do is I would look at uh, the Utility Scale Solar Energy Coalition. And so these are developers who are uh, looking to build projects 50 megawatts or larger where they've come together. And, and uh, that seems to be a good place for 
the industry, like I said earlier, to share best practices, but also to review things like legislation and rules and other things that might be changing. So that might be a good place for them to, uh, for a new developer to the state uh, to quickly get up to speed and understand what those hurdles might be. How is Ohio kind of nuanced from maybe other states that they've got um, experience in, but uh, it would be a lot longer than the 30 minutes we have, I think, to get into how Ohio is different than any other state, because each state really is kind of unique and different in its own way. Um, but with Ohio, like I've said, the difference is that it's changing right now. We're, we're in the middle of new laws taking effect and, you know, reviewing our, our rules. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so, you know, along with this conversation about solar, uh, I was wondering if you've seen any sort of you know, parallel trends or trends that are, you know, basically getting, you know, caught up with this uh, explosion, whether it be storage or something else. Is there anything else that you're, you're sort of tracking uh, in the Ohio energy industry? Anything interesting? Um, geez, that's a good question. Um, you know, we're, we're certainly seeing more interest in storage. There was recently a, a storage industry association that was formed that's starting to look at Ohio policy and see what the opportunities might be there. I do think that uh, maybe we're a little early on the front end of what might be some real uh, interest there, but but you're starting to see some of that. I'm, I'm picking up on that. Um, you know, another piece though is uh, sort of unrelated, but kind of related is battery manufacturing. You know, the auto OEMs moving to electric vehicles, uh, you know, the state's seeing a lot of interest in battery manufacturing. Um, and, you know, hopefully we'll see more in cathode and anode production and the other parts of the, of the critical supply chain. And what's interesting is that uh, the OEMs are going 100% renewable energy. They want to sell you an electric vehicle at the point of sale that has no carbon footprint. And so that means supplying the supply chain with renewable energy. And so if you're a large battery manufacturer and you're looking to the United States for, hey, where can I invest? Ohio makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons, but then you add this uh, growing renewable energy capacity and it's kind of, it starts to check all boxes. And so I don't know if that's necessarily a trend so much as to your question, um, but it is a nice uh, investment attraction tool that I think the state has when trying to land these other sort of, um, these other, other sort of opportunities. And then we've already talked about the expansion at the first solar manufacturing facility. That's certainly a trend of the broader industry to see this domestic manufacturing, but of course to have local uh, customers for them is a great thing. Um, so hopefully that answers your questions, but it's like, it's all sort of, yeah. you know, we just had a new report from the IPCC last week, just kind of stressing the urgency of this climate crisis that we're in and it, it's sort of all hands on deck. So lots of trends, a lot of things moving in this direction and it's good to see Ohio uh, position to benefit from it all. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, I think that's a good place to uh, to leave it. And, uh, you know, as this trend uh, continues and we start to see Ohio benefiting, you know, from it, more companies moving in, uh, you know, more union jobs. Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, talking to you again and, and sort of, uh, you know, hopefully there's even more good news down the road to, uh, to discuss in Ohio. So uh, Daniel, thank you. And um, yeah, thank you for listening at home. Yeah, agreed. And, and thanks for having me and happy to run this back in a couple of years or any time, really. But a couple <laughs> of years, look back and see how this all uh, uh, played out. But uh, thanks for having me. Really appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thanks again, Daniel.